Morning again, everyone. Oh, come on. It sounds like you know, I don't want you to be sad. No. Listen, we're again in this opportunity of growth. It's not very long now uh, till we finish the theme for the end of the year. And um, I'm going to, uh, again, bring, bring together something that we've been going over the last couple of weeks, uh, months really, um, and that's working through our LifeGate beliefs. Um, and we've been looking at God, and if you can remember, we've done, uh, this is this four or five, we looked at God as Father, we looked at God as Son, and we looked at Him being both His doing and His being, and today I'm looking at God as Holy Spirit, okay? So we've seen God in Him as uh, Father Creator expresses Himself, we've seen Him express Himself as in Redeemer, as coming in the Son and uh, providing a way back to, it, the, uh, to the Father, back into his presence. This morning we're going to look at him uh, uh, in, in his sense of empower, what he does for us and what he does within us. So it's God the Holy Spirit this morning. Now the Bible tells us that when a person makes God the boss of their life, God comes and lives within them. Okay? So if you have made God the boss of your life, you have God, the Holy Spirit, living in you. Now that's quite an an amazing thought if you allow that to sink through. That God, the one that speaks creation, because I also, like Nathan, believe in Genesis, um, speaks creation into existence from nothing to something, he says, I will come and live within you. Now it's, it's... it's quite an interesting concept because, you see, before the fall, before mankind, humankind said, I don't want to believe in you anymore, God. I want to do my own sense, live my own life, be my own boss. Before that, God would walk and talk with humans in the garden. He had an open conversation. In fact, you could call out and you'd have God's presence, God's response. He was there all the time. But what happened at the fall was with the separation of humans from God and and what we call sin, that which comes and separates us from God, no longer was that open to that conversation. God has been removed from his people. So what happens is that Christ comes along, pays the price through his perfect death on our behalf, brings the bridge back so that we can enter into God's presence. So he takes my sin and pays the sin for me. And then God says, now I can live within you because you are pure and perfect. I can come and live within you and we can have the conversation again. And that's what the, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. That's who he is. He's God's voice again to us like it was before the fall. Now, ultimately, when we leave this earth, we will be in his presence and we will have the conversation one-on-one again. But until then, those who make God the boss have this wonderful opportunity of having him within us to talk to, to listen to, to be led by, to be directed. And I think we underestimate the role of how much God wants to do that for us. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Here's Acts. Peter said this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's birthday, I love gifts. Okay? I love gifts and I know there's one coming. 
Okay? Well, here we have a gift from God. And that's the way he sees himself coming to you. He says, I have a gift for you. My very presence within you. Have you sat long enough to think about what that really means? That's what we must do. That's why we need to be still. We need to be quiet and allow that to process. Who is the Holy Spirit to you? What role does he play within you? Every Christian has got the Holy Spirit living with them. So I've given the heading for this servant. Nothing outside of me is bigger than who is inside of me. Just remember that if you remember nothing more this morning. Nothing outside of me is bigger than who is inside of me. So next time you go for that difficult time, next time you're in that difficult place, having that difficult conversation, trying to hold it together because the kids are driving you nuts, nothing outside of me, even though they might only be this big, nothing outside of me is bigger than who is inside of me. That's why we can turn to him. Here's the verse. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Sorry, did you want to take a photo of that? (laughs) Too late. There you go. (laughs) For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Just let that sink in. So here's my plan for this morning. Who is the Holy Spirit? We'll look at. Then I got a bit of a personal testimony because I didn't always understand this myself. And then thirdly, how do we apply it? Okay, so who is the Holy Spirit? Now, I am going to turn right here, Thomas, to a video clip. It goes for about three minutes because these guys from the Bible Project, um, John and his team, they explain it so well. So let's just watch this video clip. A little bit of teaching on who is the Holy Spirit. They're very good, the Bible Project. Get onto YouTube clips and go through those. They're, they're fantastic. Those guys just really... Uh, Nail it, I think. Um, Yeah, so as you can see, the benefits of having the Holy Spirit within us is very transforming. And I just don't get why we don't call on him more often if that's his role in us. That's what he wants for us. His work is to use his power in us to create us to be all that we were meant to be. That's his role. He wants us new. He wants us to live in the freedom. He wants us to be fully alive. Now, I think there's a great illustration of this, and it's in the form of the caterpillar to the butterfly. As you know, that's, that's the word in Greek, metamorphosis, and it's to metamorphize or to transform is our English word. And, you know, what happens to the caterpillar when it turns into a butterfly? It, it transcends itself. It uh, surpasses and exceeds that which it is. And that's what the Spirit wants to do to us because the caterpillar turning into the butterfly is completely different, totally different. And even to the point where I know some people can go, oh, a caterpillar, but they go, oh, a butterfly. Exactly the same thing that's been transformed. Okay? It takes on this new form, but it takes on new capacities and capabilities. And I think that is why it's such a great illustration of transformation for us because of what it does. I mean, the caterpillar grows in an egg where, as you can see up there, the butterfly grows in what they call a chrysalis or a pupa. And it's out of that that it comes totally different than what it is. Now, you know, the, the, the caterpillar might have 16 legs and it's just for moving about on the branch, but 
The butterfly has six legs and it actually tastes its food through its legs. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> I'm full. Okay. Um, the caterpillar doesn't walk very far. It's sort of up and down the branch and it pretty much kills the branch once it's eaten all the leaves. But you think of the butterfly, it can soar to places afar. And it can live up to a year, where a caterpillar lives up to two to four weeks before it gets into its cocoon and transforms. The caterpillar's earthbound, but the butterfly is free to move about and to live beyond its original self. And the transformation, I just think, is extraordinary. A butterfly is so different to what it started out as. And, you know, we started out as something extraordinary, but sin has taken us away from God. Our rebellion against him, us wanting to do our own thing, call our own shots, has caused us to move away from him. And yet God says, you will only know the truth if you come and let me set you free. And that's what he wants for us. Now, the thing about it is, when you look at the caterpillar, there is a slight resemblance. There is a slight residue, sorry, the butterfly, there's a slight residue of the past. But the majority of it is transformed way beyond how it was first created. And that's what people should be able to see in us with the Spirit in us. Because this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And the words that the Bible uses are words like sanctification, regeneration. Now, those words are actually um, words that don't just stop once, a one-off thing. It's a continual thing. You can be sanctified. You are being sanctified and you will be sanctified. That's the way the Bible uses those words in all three texts. So God is continually working, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit in you, to sanctify you, to make you into something that you're supposed to be and you're not yet. He is forming us, transforming us, moving us through the process. These are words that speak about this change. Paul said it this way, and we behold the glory of God. And we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. See that process happening there? He's in you to transform you way beyond the human you were born as and who you have formed yourself to be. See, that's the difference. Because... I've lived 59 years today on this earth, born in 59 and I turned 59. I like that idea. But there's a lot of me doing the formation. And God, that's right, it's called sin. And, but you know what? God is breaking that down. He is breaking that down. The Holy Spirit will transform you to be all that you were meant to be. Not who you think you were meant to be, but who God thinks you are meant to be. The Holy Spirit is in the transformation business and he will not hold back in getting you changed. And that's the struggle you see most of you and I are in, is that you and I, when you become a Christian, go, I want what God wants for me in our heads, but in our hearts, the struggle goes on, the battle's there, and God's going, I know you want it and I'm going to have to break you sometimes, move you, put you in awkward places, rethink this process because it is a process turning from a caterpillar to a butterfly. 
I think it's interesting how the Holy Spirit doesn't always receive the place that he should have in the lives of believers, though. Um, history's revealed that, that, that the opinion of him and how he works can take on different extremes. Um, and I suppose this brings me to my second point, my own personal testimony. You see, I've got to confess, for a long while, I was the one who stayed a long way away from the Holy Spirit. I didn't really want to know too much about him. I used to say I believed in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. Now, the reason I say that is because it's not that I did not believe in the Holy Spirit, but it was all a bit out there. It was all a bit spooky. I mean, in the, in the King James Version, they used to call him the ghost, <laughs> didn't they? He was called the Holy Ghost. And I'm going, well, I don't want a ghost. Why would I want a ghost? I don't get that. Okay, and it was kind of, sort of put me out there. And then the, the, the church that I attended... Um, the teaching there was very guarded and, and pretty much the word was don't go near those Holy Spirit crazy people. That was my teaching from an early age. They're a bit nutty. Stay a bit, you know, give them a wide berth. Yes, they're still saved. They're going to be, you know, in God's special place with you. But uh, their theology is a bit wrong. So don't get too close, you know. And, and there was this sense of holy fear that I had against these people that was instilled to me through the preaching and the teaching that I sat under. You know, there were people who were called charismatics. I remember that word. (gasps) Pentecostals. I was scared of those people to the point where I remember as a minister at Cronulla when I was in the Baptist church there, I would get letters and invites to prayer meetings with Pentecostal people and I'd go as if I would go with that. You know, they're all prophesying and speaking in tongues and all these things that I just thought were absolutely crazy. How could they do that? They were all a bit loopy in my understanding. And, and like I said, probably def- in my sense, they were very questionable in their scripture. So I stayed on the side of convention. I cross-examined everything that related to this experience, to this Holy Spirit encounter that they talked about. Oh, man, I was so, can I say up myself? (laughs) It was wrong. I was so wrong. And this is what happened. As I grew in my Christian life, I found myself becoming very dry in my own Christian walk and and just in life generally. And in fact, I ended up asking this question one day, and I remember very clearly, I remember where I was sitting, and I remember the time I was doing it, And I said to myself, there must be more to life than this. Now, let me tell you, I said that while I was a minister in a church. And I was getting up and preaching on Sundays to people like yourselves. But in my head, I'm going, there's got to be more to life than this. I had all the head knowledge. But my life was dry and dead and lifeless. It was hard. Answers to my question, answers to my questions were not forthcoming. I was lost. And yet I'm preaching to the masses. What's that? Crazy. So I ended up, um, <laughs> interesting, let me just put this here, my knowledge of God and my works for God were just not enough. It left me drained, dry and empty. 
my knowledge and my works. Now, it's very easy to fall into that trap. Think I'll know God and if I do enough for God. Now, that is not a marriage in any form. Imagine if I just knew about Fiona and I just, you know, cut the grass and cooked. But I had nothing else in the form of relationship with her. You want that? Okay. That is not a marriage. You don't, you don't have relationship by just knowing about someone and serving them. That, that's pretty much a slave. And maybe that's what you want. You've got, you've got Bella for that. That's why you have kids. Yeah. Okay, and through all, you know, while all this is happening, I ended up experiencing burnout myself. I just came to the end of myself. I just didn't want to get out of bed one day. I just curled up in the fetal position and stayed there, and I could not get out of bed. I remember that day so clearly in the house I was living in. And it was horrible. I ended up ringing up my pastor of pastors at the, at the uh, college and said, oh, I can't get out of bed. He said, you need to get out of bed and come and see me. And he helped me in this process. So the long, let's make it short, um, <clears throat> I had time off as a pastor. I took time out. Actually, I became a postman for two years, which is I was still delivering the message every day. It was just in the letterbox. Um, riding a motorbike. And uh, I went on this journey of trying to find God. And you know what? It led me to going to lots of different churches within the Shire. And I'd go to these charismatic churches. And then I'd go to the traditional churches. And then I'd go back to a Pentecostal church. And then I'd go back to a conservative church. And I'd kind of go, what is it in these loopy churches that seems to make more sense than where I've always lived and camped. And I started to open up because, you see, I was in a place of such dryness, of deadness. And that's the, that God is not dead. God is not dry. He's the one that breathes life into the world. It creates you and I. And I started to go, there's got to be more to this Holy Spirit thing than I know about. And I went on this journey. And probably, you know... Um, the search for real life was the thing that actually brought me into his presence, to realise God in all his fullness. Now, you know, I'm glad to say that when I came to the bottom of myself, he was actually able to reveal his fullness. And I, know I say it this way, my breakdown became my spiritual awakening. My breakdown became my spiritual awakening. And I met God as a triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God in all his fullness. And the Trinity revived me. And he brought life on me. Just like we saw in that picture, he breathed into me. Now, I believe I had him in me. That's his promise when we become Christians, the spirit enters. But I did not give him a place of control. And the Bible speaks all about that. And I'm going to just talk about that in these last few moments. You know, our doctrinal beliefs or mine had to be adjusted. My theology had to undergo a real revision in itself. And this started my journey of spiritual transformation. And I started to know God in all his fullness. The big question that unnerved me, though, was this. If I'm not depending on the Holy Spirit's power and guidance to fill me and to lead me, then whose power and guidance am I depending on? Let that sink in. 
If I'm not depending on him, whose was I depending on? I knew the scriptures and I knew the the Bible said, hey, I'd been to a couple of colleges. I had degrees. I had uh, diplomas. Didn't help. Who was I drawing my strength off? Who's authority? Who's leading? And, of course, the answer came down to being mine. That's all I could put it down to. It was all about me. It was my intellect. It was my training. It was my knowledge. It was my power. And if you think about it, that's just outright idolatry. And that's where I came to. I realised that I'd lifted myself way up higher than God and I was the one that was that basically I was worshipping because I didn't turn to him for my strength. It had to be from my knowledge. It had to be, hey, look at me, God, look what I'm doing for you. You must be really happy with me. That's idolatry. God says, I don't need your works. I don't need your knowledge. I love you in spite of who you are. I just love you. So it was all centred around me. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, you have to die to yourself to lay down your life and make him the boss. And that's a hard thing. There's only one thing I could do. I needed to get down on my knees and I needed to confess because idolatry is a sin. I had to ask God to forgive me and I went there. I said, I can't do this anymore on my own. I know where that leads me to dryness and spiritual you know, thirst. I need you to revive me. And so by breaking me and remaking me, he awakened me. That's beautiful. I met him in his true self. I now know God in all his fullness and his, him as Trinity. And it was a very powerful question. If God the Holy Spirit is not the power that enables you, then whose power are you working from? You need to ask yourself that question. Jesus said it this way. You will receive power. Dunamis is the Greek word. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying, I'm going to give you what you need to be equipped to do what I want you to do. It'll be my power that comes upon you. He left us with all that we need. You see, we forget that Jesus did not do anything without the Holy Spirit enabling him. And in fact, we mentioned that a few times there. You see, it was the Holy Spirit that brought about Jesus' conception. Remember, it met with Mary. It was his, him at the baptism. He led him daily. He empowered him to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead and to ascend into heaven. Read those verses. The Holy Spirit is involved at every level of Jesus' life. So why am I thinking I don't need him? All right? It's exactly right. We need him. So I came to realise that I should be the same as him. So by consenting to the Holy Spirit's power in me, then God could change me and change my world. And the revelation was amazing. My life became far more enriching to live. It came far more purposeful to live. And I had a sense that I now was on the right track. And do you know what that brings to the centre of your heart? That real release and knowledge. We talk about freedom here. Oh, boy. That's why I love that word. I don't mind using that word from the pulpit because that's what he brought, absolute freedom to where I was at. Yes, it's more than spontaneous, more unpredictable. It's more of him and less of me. 
But the more I'm transformed, the more I can see that this is who he created me to be and who he desires for me to be. And you see, the the hardest part with me, when you're in control, you don't like spontaneity. You don't like um, things changing too quickly. And I'm a bit of a control freak. But you know what? The Holy Spirit says, you have no clue what I'm going to do. But I want you to walk in it because I'm God and you can trust me. And I'm going, but I like to know ahead of time, God. He's going, you don't need that yet. I will reveal when it reveals. So I had to withdraw He had to, and I had to allow him to step up, okay? We're definitely made to live life in all its fullness. And I don't mean just financially, materially, professionally. Yes, I'm talking about spiritually. We are to live life in all its fullness spiritually. Spiritually transformed into the likeness of his son to do what he desires. That who is the Holy Spirit. So how do we apply that today? Well, I want to show you a couple of verses. See, Jesus said this to his disciples. This is my favourite verse up there with two or three others, but this has got to be it. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, capital H, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. It's to your advantage. Now, I like an advantage. The Holy Spirit is my advantage because Jesus said, I'm going to go back to the Father so that I can send me to you. In every one of you, I will come and live. We have this advantage over those who don't have a relationship with God. And it happened this way just before Jesus went back. John baptised with water. Jesus said, but uh, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, that was his words to the disciples and those gathered with him before he ascended back into heaven. John baptised you with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And again, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you go out and be my witnesses. And with saying that, Jesus rises up into the clouds and out of their sight. So what we find is in the next couple of verses in Acts, the friends return to Jerusalem and on that special day that, that, that was, it was a festival day, it was called Pentecost, they're all together in one room and they're all partying on, they're celebrating Pentecost together and this amazing thing happens and it was mentioned in that little video clip and we read it here. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw that what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now that's amazing. You see, this, finally the Spirit could come because Jesus had to go onto earth, through life, up onto a cross, die, rise again and say, I'm going back to the Father so I can send me to everyone. Up until the day of Pentecost, the Spirit could only come and go within the people. That's why he mentioned the prophets. That's why he mentioned uh, Belzalel, the craftsman back in the Old Testament. But after Jesus rose and ascended back into heaven, Jesus made it possible for the Spirit to dwell in everyone permanently. And that's why as believers we have him in us, just as he promised. 
the Holy Spirit entered into all the believers, and from that moment on, history has been changed. And we're part of that history, and we should be making the most of it. Because nothing outside of me is bigger than who is inside.